From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, August 18th. With drought and increased risk of wildfire in our region, restoration work has never been more important. That includes seeding native plants or improving the health of wetlands. It turns out that Utah does restoration a bit differently than the rest of the country. Justin Higginbottom reports on our state's model and whether it could be applied elsewhere. Kristen Red works at Dugout Ranch with her husband on the border of Canyonlands National Park. It's owned by the Nature Conservancy and the location of their Canyonlands Research Center. So this is Indian Creek and you can see some of the cutting and you know this and it's very straight. There's not a lot of sinuosity here. She's showing me what the creek looks like without having been worked on. Upstream, she's helped install a number of beaver dam analogs. They're meant to catch sediment and prevent floodwaters from cutting the creek too deep. And this is another place where, you know, we just want to do tons of them and just start pushing water laterally and increasing the surface area of the creek bed, basically. That will help more vegetation to take root. So far, her work is a demonstration for a larger project she has in mind. But that's one of the outcomes of this project that we want, is to figure out what works in desert environments, because a lot of this work has been done in like southern Idaho, northern Utah, and their water systems are so different from the flashy desert systems. So we'd like to have a how-to manual out of this. The ranch has paid for the supplies and a contractor to install these dams, but last year she applied for funding through the state's Watershed Restoration Initiative, or WRI. You know, in in most of the western states, with the exception of California, I think we're probably doing more here, at least especially at a statewide level, when it comes to restoration. That's Tyler Thompson. He's the director of the WRI. Even without California's huge budget, Thompson says Utah's efforts in restoration work are innovative. Other states operate regionally or on the county level. What's unique about Utah's program is it's much easier to measure what we do at a statewide level because we operate at a statewide level. He doesn't know another state that has something like Utah's centralized program. The WRI doesn't only fund riparian projects, it has a pretty broad mission. That includes restoring vegetation after wildfires and supporting biological diversity. In the mid-2000s, the last time we were, we were really concerned about drought and you know, we, we were having sagebrush die-offs and pinion and juniper trees were, were dying off, it was just the next logical step to get this group together. And it's been extremely successful. He says there's benefits to having a state-level program. For example, the WRI can better navigate work on lands with different ownership, like the Bureau of Land Management or Forest Service or private property. And instead of doing three or four different projects, we come together and do a single project that spans the different ownerships. We blur those ownership lines. Because the state is the contractor, they benefit from economies of scale. And they're able to support Utah's Great Basin Research Center and Seed Warehouse. This year, we're we're looking at storing nearly 900,000 pounds of seed, 150 different species and, and different varieties approximately. That's Kevin Gunnell. He's the coordinator at the warehouse, which provides native seed for restoration of rangelands and post-fire recovery. We are really unique in what we do, a state agency providing seed, but also really that watershed restoration initiative, how important that is in facilitating 
the work that goes on in this state. He says the scale of this operation is unique in the country, and that scale is possible because of the WRI. The state of Utah, through that initiative, does more landscape scale restoration work than I think the rest of the western states combined easily. Unfortunately, Red over at Dugout Ranch didn't get WRI funding this year. Funding, according to Thompson, is a limiting factor for the initiative. We get about 150 proposals requesting somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 million dollars. And typically we can gather together about 35 or 40 million. That will fund around two-thirds of those proposals. He says each year they chase around 100 sources of funding, from the federal government to nonprofits. Thompson sees the WRI as a possible model for other states, especially as demand grows for restoration work. Before COVID, I spent quite a bit of time traveling and speaking to other states around the West, kind of trying to teach them how we do things and you know what makes our program successful. And, and you know it's certainly possible that that programs like this could spring up in other states. In the meantime, he's hoping for more federal money through the recently passed infrastructure bill so he can fund more projects. And so is Red at Dugout Ranch, who plans to try again for a grant. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Water cuts are coming to some users along the Colorado River next year, but they're not enough to keep the river's largest reservoirs from declining. The federal government promises to take action to keep water flowing to 40 million people in the southwest, but without firm agreements to conserve among the states that rely on it, what comes next for the river remains unclear. With our partners at KUNC, Alex Hager has more. States that use water from the Colorado River had 60 days this summer to conserve an unprecedented amount. That challenge proved too much. They could not agree on a deal. And the river still faces huge risks. The system is approaching a tipping point. And without action, we cannot protect the system and the millions of Americans who rely on this critical resource. That's Camille Kalimlim-Tudin, commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Reclamation. She told states to cut back on their water use, or the feds would step in and do it for them. The deadline has now passed, and the feds so far are not mandating big cuts to water use. But with the Colorado River's supply-demand imbalance only growing, no one is off the hook yet. Again, Commissioner Tudin. It is by working together that we can achieve meaningful water management and conservation actions and find a sustainable future for the river that serves as the lifeblood of the American West. Reclamation did make one move to keep that lifeblood pumping. The agency issued relatively small increases in water cutbacks to Arizona, Nevada, and the country of Mexico. Those cuts were already agreed to, and they're not drastic. Arizona faces the steepest reductions. Arizona's willing to do our part, but only if other folks do do it with us. We can't be um, continue to be the one who's doing most. Ted Cook runs the Central Arizona Project. The 300-mile canal delivers water to the Phoenix metro area, farms, and tribes. The CAP will take on the brunt of conservation next year, limiting water access for those users. We at least expect people to keep up with what Arizona is doing, and, and that has not been able to come together at this point. 
Because of some long-standing legal agreements, Arizona is often the most vulnerable to water cuts. But leaders in that state say that is untenable, and what the river desperately needs is shared sacrifice. Tom Bushatsky directs Arizona's Department of Water Resources. The most water in the lower basin is in California. The most water for agricultural use is coming out of California. We need California to participate with us. We can't do this alone. Bushatsky says he also wants to see firm commitments from the river's upper basin states of Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah. Leaders there rebuffed federal calls for conservation, saying they were using well below the amount they're legally entitled to. The new Inflation Reduction Act has $4 billion for conservation. Some states want to use it to restart programs that pay farmers to temporarily stop using water. But the last-minute influx of cash may have made negotiations even harder. Again, the Central Arizona Project's Ted Cook. And I don't think that's what the intent of Congress was, just to pay people one year at a time to not, to not take their water. This is something that, that would need to be repeated every single year until you're out of money and potentially out of water. We can't do that. Some onlookers say this tension between the states is setting the region up for a lot of trouble. State water leaders talk a big talk about collaboration, hinting that collective solutions are the only way out of this collective problem. But when they balked at this opportunity to find a big, uncomfortable compromise, Kyle Roerink says they left the door open for the federal government to step in. We always hear about, you know, these notions of everybody singing kumbaya and the collaboration is so wonderful and so great. You know, how, how many times have we heard that? But really what's happening is they're sharpening their knives. Roaring directs the Great Basin Water Network, a Nevada-based conservation group. He says states are running out of time to meet in the middle. If we don't get an all-hands-on-deck effort right now, we're just going to be realigning the deck chairs on, on sinking houseboats at Lakes Mead and Powell. He says without agreement among the seven states, it could be either federal legislation or a flurry of lawsuits that will decide the future of the Colorado River. I'm Alex Hager. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by our partners at KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, August 18th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.